Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So today I want to talk about something very specific, and the title is this, Having a Clean Conscience. Say that with me, Having a Clean Conscience. I think this is something that's important to bring up, and for some of us, this may seem kind of basic, but how many know it, it never hurts to return to some basics? And sometimes if you don't get the basics wrong, you know, when I was in school, and even now we have a one left in school, uh, I have had three graduate, and then we had this awesome surprise, Aiden, he's amazing, but he's in sixth grade, and so, you know, from time to time he'll struggle a little bit, maybe with math, but it's because if you don't learn the basics and the foundation of something, when you move to the next level, you're lost. And, you know, there's no shame in that. I mean, I remember when I was growing up going, man, I mean, at one point I had just before algebra, I had not really gotten some stuff and I was lost. And so my parents brought a tutor in for a couple months. And once I got those basics again, once it clicked, it was like, oh, it's like you ever had those moments? Oh, like it's clicking. And that's how it works. Well, it's the same thing in our journey with Christ. There's some foundational things. There's some foundational principles there that are really important to understand and sometimes we allow the cart to get before the horse, if you will, and we try to just dive into things. And, and I think a lot of that is maybe the enthusiasm of those who, who maybe see you step into the kingdom and accept your rightful place as a son or daughter. But we have this tendency to do an altar call, and then after the altar call, you know, not on purpose, with good intentions, we go, wow, you're in. Here's the pamphlet. And then you start going to the pamphlet, okay, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this. And then all of a sudden there's these hurdles and hoops you got to go through when really it's a relationship that was initiated by God. It's always been there. You just have to accept it. And all the other things really do follow along. Now, I've said this before, I have absolutely no issue with prayer time. I think it's important. The Apostle Paul said to pray without ceasing which tells me it's not just one specific time, it's a continual communion all day long. But what happens is we sometimes compartmentalize things. And so we're like, okay, I checked off 15 minutes of prayer. I checked off 15 minutes of Bible reading. And how many know that when we make it into a to-do list, we lose the relationship portion of it? And so this should be something that's relational, that we just, it's not like you have to make me read the word or read the Bible because I want to. It's not like you have to go, well, get your time with God. I'm really trying. I, I've used the example of, can you imagine if I went in, spent a little time with my wife, drank some coffee and, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes. And then I pulled out a list. I'm like, all right. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I just checked you off the list. I got to get that time in. <laughs> How many know that wouldn't be very special? Not for any of us. And so it's important, I believe, that, that we see this as a relational thing. And I found this, that I go through different seasons of life where sometimes I don't have 10 minutes every single day to be in a specific place. Thank God I can pray without ceasing. Thank God no matter what's going on in the family and the kids and the job and work and whatever else, that I still have connection to the divine. See, if we awaken to that connection, it changes everything. It changes our perspective. Amen? And so I want to talk about this idea of having a clean conscience because I believe that many people struggle with guilt on a daily basis. Now, I'm not talking about people who just occasionally like, man, I kind of feel guilty. There's people who literally every day they wake up with a weight of guilt and shame on their shoulders. And I don't believe that God has called us to live in guilt and shame. 
In fact, I love the garden story. You know, sometimes we, we try to focus on the, the fall versus what God did after the fall. You know, sometimes we think, okay, we messed up, God separates and leaves. But according to the garden story, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you believe in creation, then you would look at that and go, well, wait a minute, where was God in the midst of their fall? You know where God was? With them. In fact, he pursued them. Not only that, this is just amazing to me, God offered the first animal sacrifice in order to take those skins and to clothe and cover their shame. Not so he could be okay with them, so they would feel okay with God. But unfortunately, in this fallen state, really this fallen thinking, Paul, Paul addresses this quite often. That's why Romans 12, 2 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to learn to think differently, think like God thinks. And when it comes to ourselves, we have to think like God thinks about us. But unfortunately, we hear other stories about us. We have our own story about who we are and what we're about. And for some reason, we can't hear the story that God's telling us about ourselves. And so there's many who feel guilty for, you know, not spending more time with their family and maybe not calling their parents. They feel guilty for working too hard, right, on one side. But then there's someone else who's like, well, I'm not working hard enough. And so that guilt and that shame build up. There's so many different reasons for feeling guilt, and the list could go on forever. Amen? I mean, some people are like, well, you know what? I got up too late. I gave into those cravings again. I, I didn't do the laundry, or I'm not recycling like I should. I mean, there's this list of stuff. Or how about this? I ate the whole bag of chips because you just can't eat one, right? On a side note, that's just a chemical thing, right? It's a salt-oil-sugar combo. It's get you every time. Dopamine hit, not your fault. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that, Andy. Okay. But here's the thing. If we've been raised with rules and we've been raised with, say, high expectations, chances are, are, are pretty uh, good that you're familiar with guilt. Because when you don't measure up in those moments, you feel like you failed. That's what heaps on. Guilt is what you get when you don't measure up. It's something that I believe all of us can deal with in different seasons of our life. But again, guilt is what you get when you don't measure up. And if I were to be honest, most of us don't measure up, right? There, there's these standards that are put on us, uh, you know, by society and by religion and, and different things, which by the way, this is kind of wild to think about, but the standards that God hasn't put on you, he sees you through the eyes of righteousness and acceptance and being pleasing, See, if we could awaken to that, our actions and our thoughts and our words would change. See, we kind of get it reversed. I'm like, I'm going to try really hard to do better, but trying harder is not what God's called you to do. He's saying, awaken to who I've already called you to be and who I've already made you to be. You reflect my image and likeness. And when you realize how good it is and how good God has made you to be, how many know the Genesis story never changed? I mean, God created man and said it's very good. God's story never changed, but man's did. We thought, oh, I need to obtain something that I already have. If you eat of the tree, you'll be just like God. Well, the response should have been, I already am. But see, isn't that crazy? You're trying to get something you already have. Well, the story's never changed. But see, by faith, we have to believe who God's called us to be. 
We have to believe the person that God has created us to be. If we don't, we'll never benefit from it. We'll never step into it. We'll never walk into it. Amen? But did you know that you actually can, it's, it's actually possible to not have a guilty conscience? It, it literally is. Now, Ed, you know, right? But, but for some of us, we're like, how is that possible? Maybe you don't believe me, but do you know there's a guy in the Bible who actually said this, Acts 23.1, listen to this. Now, looking intently at the council, Paul, the apostle Paul, he said, brothers, I have lived my life when it, with an entirely good conscience before God up to this day. I'm going to read this again. What does he say? Brothers, I have lived my life with an entirely good conscience before God up to this day. Now, before you go, well, yeah, yeah, but this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, this was the amazing church planter. I mean, this guy had seen so much. I mean, he spent, you know, over a decade just getting downloaded by the Holy Spirit with this, with this message and the gospel and the love of God. And, you know, he is the Apostle of grace and, and all that. Well, let me just re- remind you that Paul also was Saul, the persecutor of Christians. You know, the guy who, I believe with good intentions, would go into a town and would knock down doors and would drag people out in front of their families and would imprison them and even have them executed for following the way of Jesus. And Paul says, I have lived my life. He didn't say the last 10 years. He didn't say the last 20 years. He said, I've lived my life with an entirely good conscience before God up to this day, up to this present day, free and clear, good conscience. What? How is that even possible? I mean, if anyone should have had regrets and a guilty conscience, surely it should be the Apostle Paul. I mean, I think of all the things that he did in the name of religion. I mean, even up to killing people, having them executed. Yet Paul often spoke about having a good and clear conscience. In Hebrews, many scholars believe he wrote Hebrews. He says, we are sure that we have a good conscience. So if Paul could have a perfectly good and clear conscience, I believe you can too. I believe I can too. But first, we need a proper definition of conscience. So the first question for today is this. And I'm a little bit teachy. I'm more of a teacher than a preacher anyway. Those of you who have heard me know that. But here's the question. What is your conscience? Say that with me. What is your conscience? Now, maybe you imagine your conscience to be this judge inside your head who accuses you when you break the rules, when you mess up, when you slip, trip, when you fall. You know, we've all seen the cartoons. I even um, took the liberty today for, I always make, you know, for the Bible app and things like that, or if we're doing something on Facebook, I'll make a little a slide or a thumbnail for the, the actual message. And I found this, I thought this was perfect because sometimes we believe that our conscience is the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the right. Come on, anyone seen Tom and Jerry? Any, any cartoons? We've seen this, right? Should I eat the mouse? You should do it. No, be nice, right? But these are just caricatures. This isn't reality. That really isn't what your conscience is, right? Listen to this. Your conscience is that inner voice that lets you know whether you're walking in the will of God or whether you have departed from it. There's something 
on the inside where your spirit connected to Holy Spirit is saying, oh, we're a little off path. Let's go back now. Oh, we're a little off path. Let's go back now. And here's the wild thing. I found that it's a still small voice and it's gentle. It's never mean. It's never forceful. It's never trying to shame me. I say this often, but I love that the Apostle John describes God as both love and light. What does light do? It exposes things, right? But sometimes what we've done, somehow, and I listen, I'm not calling others out. Everyone has their journey. We're on different paths. I don't, I don't claim to know it all. I'm still learning. But, but I do know this, that, that I'm open enough to get outside of the box of things that I believed in the past in order for Holy Spirit to bring me somewhere that he wants to bring me. And sometimes that's not easy. That takes faith, right? But I just want us to know this, that, that Holy Spirit is never exposing things in our life and showing us those things to bring shame, ever. The goal of God is restoration and healing. In fact, that's, that's the proper meaning of salvation. See, sometimes we think salvation is, uh, you know, an altar call, and I came forward and I prayed this special prayer. But do you realize that Scripture says that we're working out our salvation to those being saved? It's a continual journey your entire life. Because the literal Greek word, it means healing, preservation, safety, deliverance, restoration. You know, some places in, in the New Testament, if you break apart the Greek and you look at where Jesus healed someone, it literally says he salvationed them. He brought salvation to their life. And I've said this before, but how many would say that you're not completely delivered in every area of your life yet? You're still working it out. Ah, of course you are. You're working out salvation. And so Holy Spirit will find those, and I call them lies. They're lies that we believe about ourselves, others, and God. He'll expose that lie, not to bring shame, but to bring healing. So a lot of times when I notice something like that in my life, I don't feel guilt or shame. I just go, whoa, all right, Holy Spirit. And it doesn't always feel good. How many love correction? It's fun, isn't it? That's why I often say that, you know, it's easier to correct or, or call someone out when you have a relationship with them because they know your heart. Because it's still not easy. I've had brothers say, hey, man, I've noticed in your life, I'm like, hey, shut up, you know. But, but then, okay, you're right. Yeah, I'm going to work through this because I know they had my best interest in mind. Well, God does too. And so in those moments, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I've got an issue here. I need to deal with this. And I say, you know what? Because Holy Spirit, Jesus aren't forceful. I say, you know what? I'm open. I'm open to receive. By an act of my will, I give you full access into my life in this area. Why? I need your healing virtue in this area. I've had wrong thinking, which leads to wrong words and wrong actions. It's powerful. So your conscience is an inner voice that lets you know whether you're walking in the will of God or whether you have departed from it. Now, the word conscience loosely means with knowledge. And so your conscience knows when you've crossed the line, when, when you've, you know, we call it missing the mark, right? Sin. How does it know? Well, for some, and this is where it gets tricky, for some people, this knowledge is defined by cultural norms. What's going on in your culture? What's going on in your time? For others, maybe it came from this 
religious code of ethics or the law of Moses or whatever it can be, these different parameters that we set up, these different lists, these different uh, barriers and borders, if you will, in order for us to stay within these things. But ultimately, any definition of right and wrong is grounded in the character of God. And we have to understand that. So if that's what the conscience is, the next question is this, how do we have a healthy conscience? Because it's important that our conscience is healthy and not unhealthy. How do we have a healthy conscience? See, a healthy conscience is not one that hammers you with the law or uh, maybe one that is subject to maybe society's definitions of right and wrong. Because how many know that sometimes we just don't get it right? See, a healthy conscience is one that is in tune with Holy Spirit. Now I'm speaking to mostly those who are, I would say are believers or they're at least contemplating this way of Jesus, and that's beautiful. But a healthy conscience is one that is in tune with Holy Spirit. Because I've even found this, that there's times where I'm going through life and maybe my belief system leans a certain way in a certain you know, idea, and maybe that's because of society or maybe even you know, religious indoctrination. How many know indoctrination is not necessarily a bad thing? It's also not just a Christian thing. I mean, if you grow up as an atheist, you're indoctrinated with atheism. That's where you are. I have friends who are atheists. They're great people. I have some friends who are atheists who are now agnostic just because they hung out with me and I didn't force anything on them. I have others who are like, tell me more about this Jesus. It wasn't because I you know, had a bullhorn and I yelled and shouted scripture verses at them. It's because I have relationship with them. And I love them because they're human beings with emotions and goals and likes and loves and dislikes. And they're human beings. That's, that's the thing about Jesus that just, I mean, I can't see ever not following Jesus. Jesus just, I don't know what the right word is. I'm just mesmerized by his life. Because everyone was welcome at his table. Even when it made other people mad, everyone was welcome at the table of Jesus. And what I found is that Jesus, you know, we don't see all the conversations that transpired. Sometimes I wish I could be a fly in the wall. You know, like, when, like, what did he say to Nicodemus? I mean, a tax collector who was stealing from his own people, who was living high on the hog, to make him go, that's it, I'm giving to the poor, I'm giving back more than I stole. What? And this is crazy. What did Jesus say when all this happens? Today's salvation has come to this home. What? Get you thinking a little bit. See, something transpired there. But I think it's important that we're at this place where we accept people where they are because that's where they are and believe that Holy Spirit is big enough to work through us and to work on them. Does that make sense? So often as a pastor, um, it's so easy to get into this this rut where I call it whack-a-mole preaching. What's going on in the congregation? And we'll hit that for a little bit, and we'll hit that for a little bit. But what I found, at least for me, this works, is that I've not seen people truly change when I call out the sin in them. The true change comes when I call the sun out in them. And that's what Jesus would do. In fact, when people would, would seek healing, sometimes the first thing he would say was, your sins are forgiven you, which I'm like, that has nothing to do with the lame man who wants to walk right now. What's going on? But then I realized, realized something. Jesus wiped the slate clean 
Because a lot of times we cannot receive the goodness that God wants to give to us because we feel we don't deserve it. So Jesus would wipe us. Hey, hey, by the way, you're forgiven, clean slate. Now what is it you need? Here you go. I can receive it now. Because Jesus just called me worthy. Isn't that awesome? What if we did life like that? Where we saw people as worthy. Where we saw people as enough. It would change things, wouldn't it? But then Paul says this in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. So he really wants us to know he's not making this up. Can you see that? Look at this. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. See, he's backing up what we just said, that a healthy conscience is one that is in tune with Holy Spirit. See, the conscience, we all know this, it makes judgments based on knowledge. And I believe that the most reliable source of knowledge is the spirit of truth. And that's what I was saying earlier. Sometimes, you know, I may go through life and, and have this certain belief or this idea, and then Holy Spirit will swoop in on that and go, you've been believing wrong. Anyone else? You're like, what? But, but I learned this in church. Oh, well, people with great intentions, but they were wrong. Whoa, whoa. But, but I learned this, and it seems good. I, I learned this in society. Yeah, but it's not quite right. Listen to the spirit of truth. And so then I have to go, okay, I trust you. It's called a, a life of faith. I trust you. I'm going to step into this. It's different. It's outside of the box. I think one of the greatest disservices that we've done to ministers of the gospel, especially those who have gone to Bible college or, or some type of seminary, is we've, we've put them in a box and we said, now be careful, don't go outside this box. That person over there, they're Pentecostal, don't listen to them. Oh, they're Baptist, don't listen to them. Oh, they're Catholic, don't listen to them. And we've done a, done a great disservice because I found that when I've opened up my understanding to receive from all different types of people who love and believe in Jesus, I'm like, oh my gosh, the revelation is amazing. But somehow, and I think it's just a human thing, is we kind of draw lines and borders and it becomes us and them. And we think we found it. You know, the Holy Spirit flows, a new thing, a new denomination raises up, which in the beginning I think was great intentions and it's awesome. But then what happens is we, we stop, we build foundations and temples and we don't go any further. I believe there's something to learn from the children of Israel being told that they're just going to have these mobile units with tent pegs. Because whenever spirit moved, it said the tent pegs came up and they move with spirit. I think a lot of times what we need to do is move in those flows where we see Holy Spirit all through history just doing some amazing things. But it doesn't mean we stop. Holy Spirit's like, that's great. Hold on to the good foundational stuff. Now we're moving again. And we're like, no, no, no. We just built a temple. We can't go. Does that make sense? See, when the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that this is the way to go, this is the way that I want you to choose, and then your conscience heeds this instruction, you will be convinced, and this is what's so cool about it, it will not matter what anybody says. You know, I have lost relationships, unfortunately, on this journey with Jesus because I've maybe changed some belief ideas and belief systems. 
I still love Jesus, still following Jesus, still believe that people need to follow Jesus. It's the best way to go. But because I have a different belief, and most of them aren't even salvific, we're cutting ties with you now. We can't be friends with you anymore. <laughs> and then they do the worst thing ever. They unfriend you on Facebook. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I'm rarely ever on it anymore. It's such freedom. I love it. But, but people have done this to others because they have a different idea and they think a different way. We have a local pastor, Pastor Chris Vitarelli. I love him. He's so awesome. We have some different beliefs and ideas, but you know, we both love Jesus. And he has this, um, we need to do it again soon. It's been a while, but we have, uh, he put together this breakfast. We just invites pastors from all different denominations. And we have so much fun just talking, encouraging each other, even sometimes just bringing up a theological idea. And it's crazy, like one, one area of theology and there's four different ideas and four different beliefs. But you know, we walk away, we're still friends. We don't call each other heretics. We're like, well, okay, that's where you are in your journey. And, that, and we throw the heretic word around way too much. I mean, in, in the early church, it took a lot to be called a heretic. And there were a lot of different belief systems on a lot of different things that would rock your world and blow your mind. We're not going to get into all that. That's next week. But I think it's important that, that we see in our own life as we're on this journey that a lot of times Holy Spirit, he'll just bear witness with us in our spirits on something. He'll say, this is the way that I want you to go right now. And let me say this, this just came to me, just because Holy Spirit is drawing you to a certain way, doesn't mean that everyone else should have to go the same way. Does that make sense? I did that early in my preacher career. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And, and, and preach it and said, you got to believe this way, but here's how it was heard. You guys all stink, your beliefs are wrong, so follow me. And I wasn't trying to do that at all, but it was that excitement, right? So you have to learn that sometimes it's like Joseph. Joseph probably shouldn't have told his brothers the dream, right? So there's times where maybe you're going on this journey and you hear something, and maybe it's just for you at this moment in this time. But then you, your conscience heeds that instruction, and then when you get that, see, I've come to this place where even if people have left my side and said, I'm sorry, I can't be friends with you anymore, even though I, that relationship being broken hurts, I'm not going to change the way I believe because I know that I know that I know in my heart that this is the way to go. This is why Paul could stand before this religious council, before the Sanhedrin here in Acts, and talk about having this perfectly good conscience. He knew his conscience was submitted to the Holy Spirit. And there was no teacher of the law. There was no worldly system. There was no Gentile system that could convince him otherwise. And you know what? We're exhorted to keep the faith and to hold on to a good conscience. And I think that these things, these two things are connected. See, a good conscience is something to protect. And that means knowing how to handle condemnation. Some people don't know how to handle condemnation. In fact, unfortunately, a lot of times, right now on Sunday mornings, there's so much more condemnation coming across the pulpits than confidence in who we are that we lose sight of the truth of who we are. And again, with good intentions. A good conscience is something to protect, and that means knowing how to handle condemnation. So here's a question. How do we silence the inner critic? How do we silence the inner critic? You know, sometimes we, we battle condemnation, and it comes in different forms like self-criticism, you know, self-doubt. I'm sure, I'll just speak for myself, I've heard little voices sometimes saying things like, I'm a failure, I'm a mess up. 
God could never accept you now. That thought, that word, that deed, that's condemnation. And it comes in these different forms. It's, a, it's not really a still small voice. It's kind of a creaky mean voice. And it tells you that you don't measure up and that you're not good enough. And when that happens, we need to remind ourselves the same way that the Apostle John did. First John chapter 3, I love this. Look at this, verse 19. He says, we will know by this. Now stop there for a second. We will know by this. This is the, the chapter 2 in his first letter to the churches in Asia Minor. In the first chapter, he's kind of battling some ideas. There's these Gnostics who are infiltrating, and if you're not familiar with it, we're not going to get too deep, but Gnosticism basically believes that sin doesn't exist. And so the Apostle John's dealing with this, and he's saying, listen, guys, if you say there's no, that you've never, not sinned or never sinned, then you're calling God a liar, and you're a liar, right? I mean, now you got to understand, John's probably in his 80s or 90s, so how many know when you get older, you just kind of say what you need to say? And so John, you know, for years has been planting these churches, and now he's hearing this coming in, people who are totally distracting from the gospel, saying that sin didn't exist. And, and, and the apostle John's saying, no, of course it exists. And because it exists, there's just one simple thing to do. 1 John 1, 9, which I know we've kind of taken this as our Christian bar of soap. You know, every time we mess up, we confess a sin. But if you really look at the Greek and what it means... It says, if we sin, we confess that sin. That word confess isn't like, I messed up. Confession is to say the same thing as another. It's to be in agreement with. God's saying, I want you to say the same thing about sin that I say about sin. It's really important to understand the flow and what's going on here. The Apostle John's saying, sin does exist. And that word sin in the Greek is hamartia. Now, sometimes we've... We've got so many different ideas from this, but what I've seen in my studies, the word hamartia literally means to live outside of your true identity. So the sins that we see, the addiction, the, the, the wrong actions and attitudes and words, that's just an outflow of not knowing who you truly are. See, this has radically changed my life because I always thought it was about I'm trying to get better. I, okay, I mean, I used to live in fear. I would go to bed every single night and I would go, okay, God, and I'd try to think of all the stuff I did wrong, which was a lot, apparently, and I would confess every little sin and I would add in there and anything I forgot and anything that, I mean, it was, it was torturous. I was fearful that God was going to leave me that I was, I was doomed for eternity if I didn't confess every sin, but I didn't even understand what that word meant. What I should have been doing is like, you know what? When I mess up, th this is how I've come to it now. When I screw up, I know when I screw up. I know when I miss the mark. And so what I do is I don't let guilt and shame come in. There's something to godly sorrow and being sorry. I understand that. But usually I'm like, you know what? I'm not built for this. God, I'm sorry for that. And I thank you. I agree with you that that's not who I am. So help me to become more aware of my true identity so I can live out a life that looks differently than that. Because I'm not built for that. And in those moments, I'm not experiencing guilt and shame. I'm experiencing the love of God. I'm experiencing his ultimate forgiveness. It's already done. The forgiveness is a done deal. But for me and for us, sometimes it's that confession, agreeing with God that I truly am who God says I am. And those things, those actions, those words, that's not who I am. And start living out of your true identity. 
So he says all this, and then he says this in chapter, in chapter 3. He says, we will know by this, all the things that I've said previously, that we are of the truth. Look at this. And we'll set our heart at ease before him. Man, someone needed to hear that this morning. Somebody need to set your heart at ease before God. Look at this, that if our heart condemns us, that God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Do you... Do you see the gravity of what's being said here? Your heart, that, that inner conscience, that voice that's toxic, trying to tell you you don't measure up, it's trying to condemn you. John says God is greater than that voice, greater than that story that you're hearing and trying to believe about yourself because God knows all things. In fact, I love this in the Mirror Bible. Listen to this. It says, in this we know, that our beingness, honey, I say this quite often, but we're not human doings, we're human beings, right? In this we know that our beingness is sourced in that which is really true about us. Our doing good is not phony or make-believe. This is who we are in God's sight. But look at this. So, if that's true, even if our own hearts would accuse us of not really being true to ourselves, God is greater than our hearts, and he has the full picture. His knowledge of us is not compromised. That last statement is powerful. If you just do a definition search of the word compromised, it means cause to become vulnerable or function less effectively. To function less effectively. Think about this. His knowledge of us is not compromised. It doesn't become vulnerable. It doesn't function less effectively because God can see past that to the truth of who you are. But the issue is we need to see past that stuff <laughs> to who we truly are, right? I love this example. Um, I was uh, in one time uh, talking to uh, my therapist and he says, I don't have many things here, but here's what I have. I have this snow globe. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And he says, now look at the snow globe. And inside it was just this little like, like tower or something inside. He says, now this right here, this is the true self. This is who you truly are. And then he shook it up. And I'm like, I can't see it anymore. He's like, exactly. This is what most of us live out of. See, there's so, many, there's so much to this. The this, this soul is so deep and it's so important. You know, I've said this before that, you know, people will say things and I know what they mean. Like, we got to grow spiritually. But listen. Spiritually, you're wall-to-wall God. You're connected to God. How we really grow is soulfully. Our mind, will, and emotions. And the mind is extremely powerful. I mean, we've seen through history, people have really strong beliefs, and it leads to some really horrendous acts. And you go, how could they do that? Because their belief system was so grounded in the wrong thing. And so it's so important that we see that God is continually trying to clear up that Stuff that's floating around, it's belief system, how you're raised, what you've heard, the different things that have, you know, filtered in and filtered through your life. It's so important that we allow Holy Spirit to begin to break things up like that. And I do believe that people are gifted, you know, in therapy and help to actually help draw things out of you and help you see those things. That's a gift. And so it's important that, you know, through Scripture and, and, and through time with fellow believers and through Holy Spirit and through people who are gifted to work through these things. If, if you feel like your life has become toxic, listen, you can't just stuff toxicity in for years and years and years and expect that in 40 or 50 you're not going to have a midlife crisis. That, that's what happens. 
And so I believe that Jesus, the healer, come on now, the one who wants to heal us, not just physically, because you think about it, a lot of physical ailments, they come from issues inside, right? So it's important we see this. He says, so even if our own hearts would accuse us of not really being our true selves or true to ourselves, God is greater than our hearts and he has the full picture. His knowledge of us is not compromised. Now, when he says this, if our own hearts would accuse us, this word accuse in the Greek is the word kata gnosko. And it's only used three times in the New Testament, but it's translated to blame or condemn. It actually comes from two words, the word kata Get this, it means down, and gnosko means to know. So the literal meaning of this is to know from below. We could say a fallen mindset, a fallen perspective. See, it's, it's just so powerful to understand this. The Apostle Paul really got this. I, I love when he says that we were enemies of God, but then he goes on to say in our minds. The first time that jumped out at me a decade or so ago, I was like, wait a minute, so God's never been my enemy? I've made God into the enemy. That's how powerful the mind is. That's why, again, Romans 12, 2, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. How many know when you renew, or that word literally is like, it's renovate. You know, when you renovate your kitchen, you pull all the old out. Well, guess what? Guys, your wife wants you to put some new in. If you just pull everything out, you're, gonna, you're in trouble. But if you put new in, hey, it's good again, right? You're good to go. Happy wife, happy life. I understand how that works. But it's a renovation, so we're pulling old ideas out, but we're also putting new ideas in. And I love this in Colossians 3.9. He says, do not lie to one another since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices. The old self, the old life really was a lie. Right? It was foreign to our design, how God has really created us. And I, I love this idea here of stripping off garments or robes. You know, we're, we're also told in Scripture to put on Christ. And, and I love this analogy because, you know, when you got up this morning, most of you were flipping through the closet, the drawers, trying to figure out what am I going to wear because we all know we should probably be clothed when we show up to church, right? But this idea of clothing is it's something that's covering, it's something... That's, that's over you. And I love that he says here, since you stripped off the old self, it's like this garment, right? Those garments of disguise that we now can strip off because of our understanding of our union in Christ through his death and resurrection. We're no longer having to live under the identity and the rule of the robes or the garments like before. Does that make sense? And it's kind of like this idea of a garment that an actor would wear to define a part. I don't know about you, but I love movies. Anyone here love movies? And man, there's just, there's some actors out there, like Tom Hanks is such a great actor, right? And um, he's been in some great things, but more recently, has anyone seen the movie Elvis? It's a great movie. It is so awesome. But Tom Hanks plays the colonel, who was the manager for Elvis. And I'm telling you, there were moments in the movie where I was just so just angry at the colonel. I was so mad. And I would literally look over and go, oh my gosh, I forgot that's Tom Hanks playing that part right now. <laughs> he did such a good job of becoming that person. They did such a good job of hair and makeup and wardrobe. I mean, there's people they hire to do this, right? Because they, they create someone, they put them into this, this mold and who they are. And it was so convincing. I was like, oh my gosh, wait, wait this is the nice guy, Tom Hanks. I, I can't believe 
how good he's doing. But see, that's what is being described here by Paul. So many times we cover ourselves with a false identity. Maybe someone's told you your whole life that you're not worthy, you don't measure up, you'll never amount to anything. Maybe you've heard a preacher say you're a dirty, filthy, rotten worm and God not, wants nothing to do with you. I'm here to say those are all lies. God wants everything to do with you. And you're not worthless. You are worthy. And this is what we see in Christ, is that we're holy and pleasing and acceptable. These words seem really religious, but the word holy just means set apart. That means you're special. God made something great. So accept and embrace that. You are special. You have callings and gifts that only you can walk out in life. That you're pleasing and you're acceptable. That you're loved. You're in the beloved. These are important things that we see and have to see in our life. And I think that's such a great example that he uses that he wants us to strip off those old ideas and mentalities that we have about ourselves and then clothe ourselves in Christ. Clothe ourselves, clothe ourselves in who God has truly called us to be. Because guess what? When you were born, your calling and who you are was exactly who God wanted you to be. And it's never going to change. But here's the key. This is where faith comes in. We actually believe that that story is true about ourselves and we embrace it and we step into it. There's something about faith. Faith allows you to step into those things that have always been there. In fact, I love the definition that it's calling those things that are not as though they were. Sometimes we look at ourselves as just a not, not K-N-O-T, right? But a big capital N-O-T that we're not all these things that God is saying we are. But the truth is we need to strip those ideas off and say, okay, it's gonna take faith I have to trust you, God, that this is true about myself, but I choose to follow you and allow you to show me who I truly am. Because let's be honest, Heavenly Father knows every dumb thing you've ever done, and he knows every dumb thing you're ever going to do. And guess what? He still loves you. The love never changes. There's nothing you can do to make Father love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make Father love you any less. See, knowing this fills you with confidence and it helps silence the inner critic. But get this, God does more than just love you. He justifies you and calls you righteous. See, in the eyes of the world, you may not measure up. In the eyes of religion, maybe you don't measure up. You may fall short again and again and again. You may miss the mark over and over and over. But God himself is for you. So who can be against you? We got to get to this place where we stop defining ourselves by the sum total of our actions. If you don't like your actions, that's a good thing. It shows that you're like, man, this is going against the grain of the truth of who I am. Great. So let's discover who you are and you'll see the actions change. Isn't that beautiful? So I want to bring this to a conclusion by asking a question. Because when you talk about God's grace being this sufficient, when you talk about his love being this big, uh, his forgiveness this powerful, his acceptance this good and amazing, there's always someone who squirms a little bit in their seat because it just seems a little bit too good to be true. And they say things, well, do, do my actions not matter? To which I've replied every single time to someone asks that question, of course they do. Of course your actions matter. No one's saying actions don't matter. But get this. Our actions don't change God's mind about us. Our actions don't change God. 
And I respect questions like this because really what they're asking is it's a, a question about accountability. And I think accountability is okay, right? So here's the question. I want to wrap up with this. What do we do when we mess up? Because we're going to at some point, right? We all make mistakes. And when we do, it's easy to shrink back before the voice of condemnation saying that you're not good enough. There's that voice. You don't measure up. But I want to clue us into something. There's another voice. See, when you sin, Jesus doesn't accuse you. Jesus defends you. That's what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 2, 1. And then what does he do? He gently guides you back onto the right path. Look at this, 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. You are my dear children, and I write these things to you so you won't sin. So again, he's writing some things. Why? so that they can get a better perspective and so that they make better choices, right? They don't live on a mistaken identity. But look at this. But if anyone does sin, oh, go on. What's going on here? We continually have a forgiving redeemer who is face-to-face with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Isn't that awesome? Now, some translations said we have an advocate. The actual literal Aramaic can be translated the redeemer who ends the curse. Isn't that cool? But look at this, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, the Apostle John got it. He understood the love of God. You can see that even at the Last Supper, when he's just leaning back on the chest of Jesus, just enjoying his time. You know that he was the only apostle at the foot of the cross. Everyone else had abandoned Jesus, denied Jesus, and there was John. I believe that John really understood the love of God. He says, listen, I'm writing these things to you so you won't sin. There's no excuse. You know, we're not going to make excuses for it. But he says at the same time, if you do, guess what? We have an advocate. We continually have a forgiving redeemer who is face to face with God, not accusing you, but saying, hey, they're righteous. They've got off path. We're going to remind them of who they are and we're going to get them back on the right path. Isn't that beautiful? Someone needs to hear that because sometimes I, we believe that God is just sitting there. He's got a big base of that and he's waiting for you to mess up. Maybe that's what you grew up with. Maybe that's all you know. Maybe you were always waiting for the hammer to come down. You just didn't know what to expect. Let me say this. Heavenly Father's not like that. Heavenly Father loves us. And this is what I found is God is not retributive. He's not looking to get people back. God is restorative. So God's always looking for any means necessary. Just look at the parables of Jesus. Any means necessary to woo you back, to love you back, to bring you back. Why? Because your status hasn't changed. Your mind may have, but your status hasn't. Amen? This is why we need to listen to the spirit of truth when we sin. The Holy Spirit tells you the true facts. You're going to get the facts, just the facts, (laughs) ma'am. You're always going to get the facts from the Holy Spirit. What are those facts? God still loves you. Yes, you messed up. You screwed up. You missed the mark. But your father's got this. Now eyes back on Jesus. Eyes back on the path. Eyes back on the truth of who you are. See, the way to a perfectly good conscience is to walk in step with the Spirit and to believe all the good things that God says about you. I love this in 1 John 3, 21. Beloved, if our heart condemns, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. 
See, I want to see us all get to this place where we no longer allow condemnation into our, our, our heart. Where nothing, that, that, that accusatory voice that's on the inside, it can't bring condemnation on us. How does that happen? By having complete confidence before God. Isn't that beautiful? That word confidence is cool. It's parousia in the Greek. And it's a preposition indicating close proximity. Say, I'm close to God. Say it with me. I'm close to God. And it comes from the word rio, which means to pour forth, to flow freely. It's literally suggesting this unreservedness in speech and to have bold utterance. Wow, isn't that awesome? That God wants us to be bold and be who we're called to be. You don't have to feel guilty all the time. I don't believe that's what God wants to put on us. You have a choice. You can choose to live under condemnation or you can choose to live in this confidence that the Apostle John's telling us about. You can live under guilt or you can live submitted to God and say, you know what? No longer am I going to accept guilt and shame, the anxiety that comes with that, the stress and the worry and the wondering. I'm going to have full confidence in God by submitting my life and my will to him. The way to be free from a condemning conscience is to assure your heart that God justifies you, that God is for you, and he loves you no matter what. This is what brings real change in our lives. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you that in those times where we are hearing a foreign voice, not your voice, and that voice is telling us that we can't measure up, that we're not good enough, that you know God certainly can't accept us, that, that we would actually be able to, with our spiritual ears, hear your voice saying, no, that's not true. That God, you always see us through the light of how you've made us, and you've made us to reflect your image and likeness. That's who we are. And it really comes down to this place where we understand who we are and whose we are, that connection that we have with you. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's struggling with condemnation, with guilt, and with shame, that you're speaking to their heart right now and telling them the truth, that they are loved, they are accepted. Again, we thank you for your love and grace. It's really the fuel for our lives. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, I trust you. If there's any area of my life where maybe I'm believing a lie, a lie about myself, a lie about others, or even a lie about you, Holy Spirit, I'm open. Show me those areas. And Jesus, I welcome your healing virtue into those areas of my life. I accept it and I receive it. In Jesus' name, I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. I have purpose in this life. Help me to see that. Holy Spirit. Jesus' name. Amen. 
For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.